It is so great to welcome you to worship at Providence Church. My name is Jacob. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm just super excited to share a story with you today, the story of the birthday of the church. So welcome in. I hope that you can lean in or lean over on the couch, whatever, to hear this message, this ancient story that has been running all throughout human history, all the way up to this day, a day when when the Spirit really came alive in the people who followed Jesus. So if you're new to following Jesus, welcome. If you're old to following Jesus, I pray that you feel the renewal of the Spirit today. Wherever you may be, welcome to this story and welcome to worship. The Pentecost story, the story of the birthday of the church, is quite unique in that in the moment when the church is sort of born, and you're going to hear about that, many key dividing lines that had kept people divided for a long time fell apart. People from different nations, people who spoke different languages, people with totally different backgrounds, people with different skin color, found themselves standing together because of what the Spirit was doing in their midst. An important word for us today in the news when we hear so much about this old sin that has been the original sin of our nation for so long. Racism is back right in front of us again. And so you may be wondering, where does the church stand in the midst of that? Well, the church stands for the gospel, which is a stand against racism. So God's design is in complete opposition to racism. And so when our church members who have brown or black skin or our neighbors who are people of color have to live in fear in America, the church says that is not okay. You've heard me talk about a group, Everyone's Wilson, if you've ever been here or heard any of our sermons. For some time now, we've been talking about this group, a coalition of churches in our community, Everyone's Wilson. We're a part of their 10-year vision to see everyone fed, everyone free, everyone safe, and everyone ready. But the part that I don't talk about as much, because I talk about fed and free and ready and safe, is the first word, which is everyone. Everyone's Wilson was started some years back by the leaders of the black churches in our community and the leaders of the white churches in our community saying, we are not okay with the presence of racism in our community. And so what would it look like to break down some of those barriers? Well, it looks like a very slow, hard work that we are not giving up on. And so I want you to know that Everyone's Wilson is meeting, in fact, meeting this week to continue to talk through how we can gather people together and gather people in groups so that we can raise children up in this community who will see racism disrupted and then finally someday, we pray, dismantled right before our very eyes. So I share that with you, Providence Church, that as you hear me share about some of those gatherings that are coming, I will need you to stand tall and stand up and show up in big ways. And I say that with a smile because I know who you are and I know the hope that we have and I know the promise upon which we rest on this very day. In fact, what I want to tell you about today I think is the greatest promise that has ever been made. It's a promise that was made by Jesus after his resurrection. That's important because you also hear me talk about the resurrection a lot. I tell, I tell you, I remind you, the resurrection is the foundation of our faith. The resurrection is why we stand today. 
It's why we are here today. Jesus lived a perfect life, and Jesus taught many great sermons, and Jesus healed people, and Jesus went to the cross and died. But if Jesus had laid dead in that grave, we would not be doing this right now. The fact that Jesus rose from the grave is the reason we're here. But the promise I have to tell you about today, if it weren't for this promise being made and this promise being fulfilled, we would have never heard about the resurrection. Let's think about the importance of a promise. So many promises made, so many promises that hold us together, so many promises, whether said or unsaid, that seem to bind our whole world and our whole life together. Think of some of those key promises in your life right now. I find it interesting that kids are really uh, fascinated with promises. In fact, they call us to promises over and over again. Have you ever noticed that? In situations where we might even think there's no need for a promise, they'll call us to a promise. Like something trivial, like, hey, I'm going to take you <laughs> to get ice cream later in the afternoon. A kid will say, you promise? Like, well, I didn't even think a promise was necessary, but okay, <laughs> I promise. Or maybe something more serious, like, hey, Dad, we're scared of the storm. Are we going to make it through the storm? Yeah, we're going to make it. Do you promise? Have you ever noticed that kids will do certain things to sort of up the ante on a promise? to take you from a this-level promise to take you to even a much higher promise. I've noticed sort of the key way to do that today is, is the pinky promise, right? The pinky promise is this moment when you've made a promise and a kid is like, how do I raise this up? How serious are they? How, how, how committed are they to keeping this promise? Are they willing to put their pinky on the line? And that's when the pinky promise happens. That, I've never really quite understood the pinky promise personally because uh, in my generation, we would say that we would cross our hearts and hope to die. So it's a little bit more intense. That may be a generational difference between like the kids now and my guys, the kids of the 80s. We're like, yeah, I will stick a needle in my eye, okay? I'll make the promise. <laughs> we made promises. We like, I promise on my mother's grave. Your mom's not dead. I know, I'm still making this, this promise. She's making a sandwich. Anyways, I want you to think about how important promises are and what you do to call people to a higher promise in your life. And then I'm gonna tell you about the greatest promise ever made. It starts like this in Acts chapter one. It says, after his suffering, that's Jesus, after his suffering, after his death on the cross, he presented himself to them, to his disciples, to his friends, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So here we have Jesus who is post-resurrection, who's showing up to his friends, isn't it interesting? He has to give them many convincing proofs. Him just showing up isn't enough proof that he's alive. Why? Because they actually watched him die. And so Jesus would say, okay, you can touch my hands. Or Jesus would say, I'll, I'll, give me something to eat. I'll eat fish. That sort of proves that I'm alive. And it says that he appeared to those people, his followers, his disciples. He appeared to them over the course of 40 days and told them about the kingdom of God that was coming. Now, folks who come to Providence Church, I would ask you, how long is 40 days? A long time. So the people of God didn't get a moment with Jesus after the resurrection. They didn't get a few days with Jesus after the resurrection. He was actually with them for what felt like a long time. So wouldn't you have thought? I would have thought, he's back. <laughs> Whew, we got Jesus with us again. He's telling us about the kingdom of God. Well, good, <laughs> good. Bring on the kingdom, because now we have Jesus back on our side. The next verse, though, says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, listen, but wait for the gift my father promised. Jesus makes a promise, which you heard me speak about. 
So what's the promise? He goes on to say, John baptized with water. John was Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. He had a baptism of water out in the Jordan River. John baptized with water, but Jesus says, in only a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He tells them the promise that it's coming, and the promise has something to do with this Holy Spirit of God coming on them like a baptism. So the people, you know, they talked and they thought, oh man, this is so cool. Jesus has given us this promise. And so they say this to him. They said, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? So he's been telling them the kingdom is going to come. So they say, okay, good. Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Because if so, we're all in. We're all in on the promise. You know, we're lifting up our pinkies and listen to Jesus' answer. He says, it isn't for you to know when the promise is coming. He tells them, It's not for you to know the time or the season that the Father has set by his own authority. Rather, you will receive my power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is saying something's gonna come upon the people that's gonna lead them to take his name to the very ends of the earth. They, they stand up straight. You can see him thinking, okay, we're ready for this promise. Okay, Jesus, we're, we're up for it. And while Jesus is saying that, he is lifted up off of the ground, up into a cloud, and disappears. After Jesus said these things, as they were watching, there are eyewitness accounts, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Jesus is gone again. Jesus has left them again. Now all they have is a promise. No more Jesus eating fish. No more Jesus showing them his hands. No more Jesus coming into their rooms. All they have is a promise. Now, big spoiler alert for you if, you're, if you don't think you can make it to the end of the sermon. Those people, a dozen or so disciples, 11 at that time, a handful of women, if not more, that we know, spoiler alert, between that time around A.D. 33 and A.D. 64, something happens in them that leads to a movement so great that the name of Jesus goes out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to every corner of the earth. Something happens that gives them such power, such capacity for growth, such credibility with people that hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of millions of people at one very time, like today, there would be two billion people who would say, I know about and I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Something happened in the midst of those people. But right in this place of the story, all they had was a promise. And all they could do was wait. And so they went back to their room and they did what Jesus told them to do. They waited and they waited and they waited and they waited. And then when the day of Pentecost came, this was a Jewish festival in Jerusalem, 50 days after the Passover. When the day of Pentecost came, there they were, all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what 
what, what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Keep in mind, this is the Feast of Pentecost, and it would have been a time where there would have been people from all over the known world who would have come to Jerusalem for this particular festival. And so there they were when this happening happened with the people of God. It was so noticeable, so different, the sound of a tornado, the look of fire, people speaking in different languages, that there becomes this huge crowd that gathers around the Jesus followers who are just kind of experiencing whatever was happened. They come and they look and the people, they say, utterly amazed, they said, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? They look at them and they think, aren't these the people who are from the region around the Lake of Galilee? Aren't these maybe the people who followed that Jesus we saw crucified? They ask that question and then they ask this question, then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Oblige me if you will, but I want to read to you the list of the people, of the nations, of the places that were listed that came around those disciples when this happening happened. In Acts chapter 2, verse 9, it says, There were Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. You see what they're saying, right? The people from the Middle East and the people from Asia and the people from Africa and the people from Europe, they're saying, what is going on here? What is happening? What does this mean? And one of the Jesus followers stood up. His name was Peter. Peter was a Galilean fisherman. In his first encounter with Jesus, he fell down at his knees and demanded that Jesus leave his presence because he knew what a scoundrel he was, what a sinner he was. His first encounter with Jesus, he told Jesus to get away, and what Jesus did was invite him to join him. Peter becomes Jesus' best friend. You can see it in the scriptures how close they are, how they confide in each other. And Peter has this great capacity to sort of say stuff first and to sometimes say the thing that he shouldn't say, and Jesus loves him through it. In fact, one of the times in in Peter's biggest mishap of something that he said where Jesus tells him and actually calls him Satan, he then tells Peter, he says, you know what, Peter? I am going to start a great movement through you. He tells Peter that he is going to build his church on Peter's shoulders. You would think from that moment, right, that Peter just nails it, he gets everything right. No, Peter becomes one of the ones who is the biggest deniers of Jesus in Jesus' most critical, desperate moments. Jesus is denied three times by Peter. And then after his resurrection, Jesus goes looking for Peter. He finds him out by that sea again, and he loves him, and he forgives him, and he gives him many convincing proofs that he's alive. It's that Peter on the day of Pentecost when all the crazy stuff that was happening said, I know what this is. He looks around. It's like everything's going in slow motion from the day on the beach when he told Jesus to get away to the time when he said, my movement will come through you, Peter. The church will be on your shoulders. His denial, Jesus receiving him back, Peter looks at all that and he says, I know what this is. I know what this is. I know what this is. It says he he raises his voice. He says, I know what this is. This is the promise. 
this is the promise. This is it. And they're looking around like, this is it? He says, this is it. Look at the scripture. It says, Peter stood up with the 11. So the, all the boys join him, right? They come up next to him. And he raises his voice. And he addresses this crowd of people of every nation and every tongue and every skin color. And he says, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. What is Peter doing? He's doing the same thing that we do 2,000 years later. He is situating a movement of God that is new and unlike anything they've ever seen in their ancient story and in their ancient scriptures. He says, guys, this is in the story. This is in the book. But he's giving it more than that when he is saying, this is the promise that Jesus told us to wait for. And in one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture, Peter, this dear friend of Jesus, begins to tell these, this first group of people who've never had about, heard about him exactly who Jesus was. This is the kind of things he says. He says, Jesus worked miracles. I saw it. Jesus was a part of great wonders. I was there. Jesus taught us like no one had ever taught us before. I stood in the crowds. He says, Jesus went to the cross and died. I was there. Jesus went to the grave. And this is where the story turns. But Peter says, it was impossible for death to hold him. And Jesus rose from the grave. And I saw him. And, he says, Jesus was lifted up and is now seated at the right hand of God. I saw it. And Peter says something that changes the world. It's been repeated by guys and, and gals like me since it happened. He said, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, the one I walked with, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what do we do? You see, something happened in that moment that's happened billions of times since then when people just hear the simple story of Jesus, that he worked miracles, and that he walked with people, and he went to the cross, and he died, that he rose from the grave. This, there's this thing that happens, and there's this thing that, that happens in our heart. It's like we've been cut to the heart. We're moved, and just hearing about Jesus, it could be happening to you today, I don't know. But just hearing about Jesus, there's this thing that happens in our heart, and the thing that comes out of our mouth is, is, what do I do? What do I do with this story? And Peter replies, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter's on a roll at this point. He's not going to stop. <laughs> and he says, check it out. The promise is for you and your kids and for all who are far off. Peter takes a sort of narrow religion that they've been in for some time and through the Holy Spirit of God expands it out to whoever's gathered, to their kids that may not even be born yet, and listen, all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. 
Peter says to people of different nationalities and different skin colors and different languages. The Holy Spirit has the power to break down all these barriers and speak a clear message about Jesus to you. And all you have to do is turn and say yes to Jesus and be baptized. Peter goes on with many other words, so he's kind of a long-winded dude like you're thinking I am right now. With many other words, he warns them and he pleads with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Every generation that, that comes to Jesus has to look around and say, there are things that are going on in our generation that are not okay. And the Spirit is calling us up into a place of unity and we must be saved even from the corrupt generation. And it says that those who accepted his message, the message that Peter shared that day, were baptized, and about 3,000, give or take, were added to their number that day. That is the story of the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. But it's also the story of, I think, the greatest promise that was ever made, the promise to Jesus' people that they would not have to walk without power that they would not have to face something that they could never persevere through. And this spirit gives a purpose that will guide the people who follow Jesus to the very ends of the earth. So let me just walk through very quickly the progression that we see in this story. First, there is a promise. I wonder if you believe it today, that there's a promise for your life that the promise that, that Jesus gave to his disciples is the same promise being given to you, and that is you will not be alone, that there is nowhere you can go that is too far off, that there's nothing you're facing that God can't give you power for, perseverance for, purpose for. There is a promise. So we get that promise from Jesus. There is a promise, but then we see we wait for the promise. Almost every time when the promise is given, there is a season where we wait and this is really important for Christ's followers because what we're tempted to do, what I'm tempted to do, is get out in front of the promise. You know, let's move, let's go. And Jesus is really clear. He institutes it in the foundation of the church that we wait for the spirit to move before we go. We wait for the spirit to speak before we determine what we're gonna do. We wait for the power that comes from on high before we try to do it in our own power. We wait for the promise. You may be waiting right now. Hang on. The next step, though, is that we recognize the promise. That may seem silly, but there are folks watching this right now who are going to find themselves in a situation. You're going to find yourselves in a situation where you're going to be the one who's going to look around and notice, wait a second, I know what this is. You're going to be able to be the one who recognizes it in your family, right, in some, in some difficult thing that you're going through, and you're going to be able to see, wait a second, I see that God is moving. Wait a second, I see that God actually has shown up. And so we are still the people that have to recognize the promise, recognize the presence of the Spirit, and have the courage and the boldness to stand up and say, I know what this is. We situate it in our story, and that, you know, we study the Word, we listen, we pay attention, we situate it in our story, and we begin to name what God is doing now, how it fits to what's come before, and that we are going in faith to where God is leading us. And that leads us to the next thing, we share the promise. I don't know if you noticed that no sooner had Peter had the Holy Spirit fall over all over him like a baptism that he started telling people the promise is for you and the promise is for your kids and the promise is for all who are far off. Here's what I end up doing so much, guys, and that's why I find myself frustrated, tired, worn out, all those things. I forget that the source of power and perseverance and purpose in my life is the Holy Spirit of God and nothing else. And so I'm gonna be inviting you, me, Pastor Mark, over the next next season 
to take a really risky venture. And that is, will you say in your life, come Holy Spirit? Will you take uh, uh, in your life to say, I'm not gonna step out in front of God, but I'm gonna ask the Holy Spirit to come in my life. I'm gonna wait for it, and then I'm going to walk out into it. We're gonna do something really cool during this season as we head into the summer. We'll be putting out every Sunday after church through email and our social media a guide for you. Pastor Mark will have a word for us and then a guide for you to read the scripture so that you can go deeper in this story. Here's what I'm praying, guys, as we long to be back together in this room, as we're headed towards that, as we're headed toward different ways that we can gather together, I want us to be praying not to survive this moment until we can just hang on and be in this room, but to begin to plant seeds now for a great movement of God a revival that could happen as we gather like the early church did in these smaller groups and just say, spirit come, spirit come, spirit come. There's a prayer that's gonna be in that guide that'll go out to you each week. It's a risky prayer and you'll see why, because you're opening yourself up to what God can do in your life. I'm gonna put it on the screen and I wanna read it to you first and then we'll go back to the top and we'll pray it together. So I don't want you to pray this without knowing what it says, okay? So here's what it says. God, we call upon your spirit knowing that it's risky, knowing that you might really move, knowing that the power that comes from your spirit will move us to live out your purpose for us. We thank you for the good news that announces our salvation. Be our guide as we pray and prepare for you to spread that good news all over the world. All right, you've heard it now. We're gonna go back to the top. I invite you to pray it with me. God, We call upon your spirit, knowing that it's risky, knowing that you might really move, (laughs) knowing that the power that comes from your spirit will move us to live out your purpose for us. We thank you for the good news that announces our salvation. Be our guide as we pray and prepare for you to spread that good news all over the world. Amen.